Here at Doxadeo Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. We are kicking off a brand new series tonight called All Things New. But before we get into that, I would love for you to pray with me that God would come and fill you with faith tonight, that He would come and open up your heart, open up your mind, so that you discover Him in a new way and a fresh way. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for words of wisdom. But more than that, God, you are the Word. And tonight we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak in our hearts, God. That you would come and bring life in us as we read Scripture tonight together, as we break open your Word. That you would come and use these words to transform us from the inside out. To bring, a, bring out of us mission and passion for your gospel and passion for your kingdom. So I pray, God, that every mind in this building would be fixed on you alone, Jesus. And that we would hear from you directly, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Great stuff. You, you would know, friends, that in this church, we love our city. We are not here to just build a church. We are here to serve the city, to transform a city. You would hear every Doxadeo leader, if you ask them, what is your mission in this city? You would hear them say that we don't only pastor a church, but we pastor a city. Our hearts in Doxadeo burns for our city. I know maybe some of you came, come from Cape Town. Anyone? Good. You are single, singled out tonight and you might, you might say that your city is more beautiful, but I believe in my soul and heart that this city is the closest to heaven that you will ever find. Yes. Not because of the beautiful nature scenes, but because of the people. <laughs> you see, you would get to know these guys. You would never go back to Cape Town. Okay. But you would, you would quickly, if you, you have a conversation with someone in Doxadeo, you would hear this thing. We call, we call ourselves city changers, not because we want to, you know, put a, a label on us, but because that expresses some of the heart that God has placed in us, that we want to not only do this every week and every week do it better and you get more goosebumps every time we get together but we want to be ambassadors of the kingdom tomorrow morning not only in church we want to go out and bring Jesus to the world that's our heart that's our passion and tonight this specific sermon in our first week of all things new you would find out why is this such a pressing and a passion in our hearts. So this whole sermon explains something of who we are as a church. So are you ready? Good. I'm going to start like this and I'm probably going to offend the animal lovers, but I'm going to, just going to go for it. The reason why I don't have dogs is not, ish. I'm treading on some, yes. Anyway, is firstly because I have three sons. And I cannot take care of more livestock on my farm, which is in Fijar Park, number 40, uh, 54, deploy. Uh, no, no, no. Um, 
where do I actually live? I can't remember. No, I'm actually not giving you my address. But anyway, no. Ach, help me net, waar bly ek? Yes, and deploy, yeah, it is deploy, no? Yes, deploy street number 54, if you want to come and visit, you would find no animals, only three boys, you can decide if they are animals, <laughs> come and have a look, so that's the first reason, second reason, I grew up on a, on a, 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 a small land, yeah, a small holding, um, and we had all the animals, we had dogs, cats, fish, um, we had mouse, um, they were not um, mice, they were <laughs> mice, they were not pets, but they were there, and we had sheep, cattle, chickens, two donkeys, two horses, uh, we even had ducks, we, and all of these, we had um, uh, uh, pigeons, we had everything, but all of these animals had some deformity or dysfunctionality, and my parents actually took care of these things, so they would die very quickly, we'd, we'd have a, a funeral, so I, had, I have deep emotional scars to like let go of animals, so that's why I don't have animals at the moment, but the third reason is this, as a young boy, my dad bought me a Lego set, any Lego lovers in the house? Yes, all right. But my dog, yes, did not destroy the actual blocks. He destroyed the manual. So I only had like page 1 and then page 7 and then 13 and, you know, the rest was gone. So I only completed this set once in my life. And from there on, it was just part of my collection because I could not figure it out because if you know Lego, it's very, very difficult to just put it together. You can see the picture, but you need the manual. You need step 1A and 1B. I don't know why they call it 1A, 1A, 1B, 1C. It's just 1, 2, 3. But bless Lego. But here's the crazy thing. Who of you read Lord of the Rings? Okay, read. You know it's six books, eh? Who watched it for nine and a half hours, okay? Imagine you read Lord of the Rings, but you did not have book six, chapter nine. The moment where the poor guy throws in the ring. You would watch all of this and not know where it ends. The same with Lego. You have the, all of these blocks, but you never see how it ends. You don't even know how to start. And friend, I want to ask you with regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith, what happens to someone if you don't have the full picture? What is the implication in your life as a Christian if you don't have the chapters of the gospel, the whole picture of the gospel explained to you? You get a very foreign kind of Christian life in that sense. And many of you would actually know this kind of Christian thinking that the, all that the gospel is, is this. Jesus died for my sin. I was very bad, so Jesus came to die for my sin. Now I'm forgiven, and now I can go to heaven. I've got a free ticket, and now I wait for heaven. That sounds right. But that's not the full picture. 
So if we have to divide the gospel in what we call four chapters, four movements, it explains something of the full picture of the gospel of Christ and what that looks like in a Christian's life. The implication of that or the application of the full gospel of Jesus in your life. So we, deserve, we divided it in Doxodeo just into four chapters, not because that's all inclusive, because we can't remember more than four things, okay? We are that kind of stupid, but no, I'm just joking. It's that you can remember it as long as you live. So here we go. The four chapters of the gospel is firstly, creation. Secondly, the fall. Thirdly, redemption. And then fourthly, restoration. Creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. Let's quickly start with creation. You see, whenever I ask someone, explain to me the gospel of Jesus, it's very easy to start with your sin in mind, with your brokenness or the brokenness of the people around you or the brokenness of this world. It's very easy to start there and to say, I was sinful, but Jesus died for me. But do you know that the gospel starts before that? Paul says, before the foundations of the earth, he had you in mind. Before sin entered the world, God had you in mind. Genesis chapter 1 starts with this incredible picture of God the master artist creating, giving expression of what is in his heart and in his mind. I mean, it starts with there was darkness and the Spirit of God hovered above the waters and then God spoke and everything was created. Just listen to Genesis 1. It's the end of this creation story. Genesis 1 verse 31 and then over to Genesis 2 verse 1 to 2. It says the following. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. How dare you say that creation is not good? There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. If you go and study the scriptures a bit, you will find that Genesis 1 to Genesis 3 is actually a poem. It's an art piece. It describes God the master painter putting all of his creativity into creation. I mean, just look around you. There's not one of us who's the same. Some of you are created unique in a very special way. Anyone with a big nose? God thought that would look good on you. Anyone with um, big feet? Yeah, oh, no, yes. Oh, no, no, not teeth, feet. <laughs> Anyone with big teeth? <laughs> yes. God saw you eating lamb and not with a knife and fork, you know. <laughs> You were supposed to live in the Viking age. You're just 400 years, you know, too soon. Anyway, just joking. But God is so creative. Look at the animals. I mean, 
Giraffe. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> Zebra. It's like, shush. It's just, you know, do something creative again, you know. All the other ones are brown, but now zebra. <laughs> Rhinoceros, two horns. I mean, where's the third one? I don't know. <laughs> Elephant, big, you know, trunk. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Women. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> I'm just going to drink water quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to understand, friend, that Genesis 1 to 3 is a poem. It's a Jewish poem. Now, if I ask you, would you give me some facts about World War I? What would you give me? Probably a good documentary, a YouTube link, or a proper encyclopedia or a historical book. You give me facts about what happened in World War I. You would not give me a poem about World War I if I want the facts. Like, for instance, a very famous poem out of World War I is Dulce et decorum est. Any one of you did that in high school? Yes, it was the proper curriculum way back then. I was so touched by this poem by Wilfred Owen. Just listen to this. Bent double like old beggars under sacks, knocked neat, coughing like hags. We cursed through sludge till on the haunting flares we turned our backs and towards our distant rest began to trudge. If you hear that, just give me the facts of, uh, you know, World War I. That would be very helpful. No. It gives us the gruesome, violent, inconsiderate, pointless emotion of war. The feeling of what it must, must have been like to be in World War I. It was violent. Children, wives of soldiers were killed. I mean, it describes the atmosphere, the feeling. For why in heaven's sake... Did we take Genesis 1 to 3 and use it as a science book? It's not science, people. It's a poem. It's Moses giving this description of the master artist. He's not giving us science information. He's giving us the emotion of what God felt like when he created. He's giving us the atmosphere of creation the the worship that happened and that's so important for us to understand what is the point of genesis 1 to 3 it's this we have a huge creator a designer of all things he created everything but he is uncreated we have to make peace with that in our context in our earth in our world Everything that we see is created. So it doesn't make sense in our understanding that God is uncreated. Everything originates from Him. But that's the emotion, that's the fact that Moses wanted us to see from Genesis 1. We have an incredible master genius designer. And listen to this. Everything that He created is good. 
you see his fingerprint on every single thing. The sunset, the animals, your friends, your house, everything that you see contains the fingerprint of the master artist, the creator. And then day seven, day six, the pinnacle of his creation, mankind. Man. And the Bible says he created man in his own image and likeness. Do you know the actual word that he uses there? It's the word sculpture. It's the word monuments. That sculpture, fine art sculpture. If you want to know, no, not that one. That's Plato. I'm going to get there. Anyway, but you get the idea now. A sculpture. God placed you on this earth to look like him with his attributes. Not because you are God, but because you look like him. You remind creation of the creator. You are a living poem of the master artist, what he is like. You are created in his image. You carry his glory within you. Before sin entered the world, this was your reference. This was true about you. You were created in his image to showcase his glory on this earth. But also, the fourth thing is, his fingerprint is not just on everything on earth, but everything on earth is created to glorify him, to tell of his wonders, to tell of his goodness, to tell of his grace. Every living thing is Shouting out, God is good. He must be worshipped. Listen to Romans 11 verse 36. Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Creation is God's masterpiece to give him glory. So now Plato comes in, a Greek philosopher, And he says that there's a dichotomy between the physical world and what he calls the realm of forms. Maybe you've heard that in your studies. And if you go and read Plato good enough, you'll discover that he he was a, a promoter of the following view. That all created things is probably bad. It's evil. Even your body. But you have to transcend somehow to this perfect spiritual world one day. Man, as a created being, there's a a bit of a dualism going on here. Your body is bad, your body is evil, your spirit is pure, and one day those two will be separated and you would transcend into this sphere of perfection. Do you know that that idea creeped into the church? Because for many years we believe that we just need to escape from this evil place. One day, God would destroy this earth. It's so broken. It's bad. It's evil. It's Satan's territory. And God will send flames and a meteor to this place and destroy it one day. And then God is going to take us up to this space, this ethereal space somewhere where we're going to Ride on clouds and play harps all day and sing hallelujah chorus. 
I mean, as a kid, I must be honest, when I read the Bible and the preacher would say, one day we will get to heaven and we will worship him on the clouds forever. I was like, so is heaven going to be like this, like forever? I'm like, what about the stuff that I like, you know? <laughs> Let's be honest about it. Here's the crazy thing is this idea that all created things are evil crept into the church. And what Genesis is saying is, no, it's good. Yes, sin entered, and we'll get to that now and the implication of that. But before sin entered, God created everything to be good, including man. Just listen to Psalm 8. It says, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for him. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them, listen to this, rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swims the path of the seas. God created mankind to rule over this creation. He had a plan in mind. Actually, what Genesis 1 is telling us that God trained Adam to rule and have dominion over this earth. God said, you must name the animals. I mean, that is a great job. <laughs> and you can see that, I mean, Adam was obviously English. Yo. So he started out very creatively, hippopotamus, you know, how many syllables is that? Rhinoceros. But in the end, I mean, this guy was just out, you know, pig, cat, dog, fish. <laughs> he should have given that to Eve, maybe. She would be, have better, you know, names for the poor things. But here's the crazy thing about why did God give Adam the task of giving the animal's names. It's for this reason. If you can name it, you can tame it. So not like tame for pet purposes. But if you can name an issue, if you can name a thing, you can have dominion over it. You can rule over it. Even in psychology, that's like basic stuff. If you can name the thing, you can conquer it. If you can see what it is, you can rule over it. The same with creation. God gave Adam the task of ruling over creation. And he said, let's start by naming it. You know, start giving identity to it. But God did not only leave Adam to his own devices. Thank the Lord. He made a helper, Eve, out of his rib. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> And God said about everything in creation, it is good. But there was one thing that he said is not good. And he said, it is not good that man is alone. And all the single men says, amen. <laughs> Listen to me, you bachelors, don't enjoy it too much. You will one day have a wife. <laughs> Again, amen. And the, all the ladies says, glory to Jesus. <laughs> he gives Adam a helper with this task of having dominion. Ladies, not for a moment think 
that your role on this planet is less than the role of men. Never think about that. It's a lie from the pit of hell. God has placed you on this earth with a task to rule, with a task to reign, have dominion, bring his glory to this earth. But then chapter two, so that's chapter one, creation. Chapter two, we know that something went wrong. Listen to this. Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? And we know it's not an actual serpent, it's the devil. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And then the devil speaks again, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Two lies in this. The first lie, or the first doubt that the enemy brings to man, I mean, God ordained him to rule. He said, I'm gonna place you on this earth with authority and dominion. But the enemy comes and say, did God really say? You know, don't eat from this, don't do this. The enemy is challenging the rule of God. Do you see that? He's trying to get Adam and Eve to doubt in the rulership of God. To distrust his reign and his rule over them. The only reason that we can reign and rule as human beings is because we are under the authority of the king. Of the ruler. This is not our earth, it's his earth. We are his ambassadors. But now the enemy, he, he sows doubt in their minds. Did God really say? Question his authority. Direct. Second lie, he brings doubt about their identity. He says, if you do this, you will not die. Lie. God said, if you do it, you will freaking die. And then he says, and then you will be like God. Second lie. They were already like God. They were created in His image and likeness. They had access to Him, the Bible says. In the afternoons, they went for a walk with God. Come on. Imagine that. What are you doing tonight? No, walking with God. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're on here. Orange Hospital, please go. <laughs> you are crazy. So what happens in this moment? It's so sad. Adam and Eve remove themselves out of the rulership of God. They become their own gods. They are now the ones that says what is good and evil. And that was the fall of man. What does it look like when man lives without the authority and without the rule of God? Chaos. You see, man has been placed on this earth by God to bring order. Like even in creation, there was chaos and God spoke and order was in place. 
He placed man on this earth to rule and to bring order in this earth. But now that has been taken away by sin. Now man is believing, I am God. I can make decisions. I know what is best for me. That was the fall of man. But listen to this. In this crisis, the biggest crisis of humanity, God shows up and he says in Genesis 3 verse 15, and I will put, this is God speaking, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He's speaking to the snake, to the devil. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What is God saying? He's bringing a promise in the worst moment of humanity. He says, this is not final. This fall is not final. I will raise up a new Adam that would come and defeat the snake forever. I will come and bring enmity, you know, between his offspring and your offspring. I will bring the rule of God back to humanity. It's the promise of God. That's the love of God right there in our worst moments. Listen to this, friends. In your worst moments, God bring, always brings a promise. You think that in your worst moments, God would bring judgment. He would bring condemnation. No, He brings a promise. What is the promise? A person, Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve's worst moment, He comes and brings Jesus. Second chapter. Third chapter is this, redemption. Jesus comes onto the scene in the brokenness of the world, in the brokenness of society. He comes onto the scene and we find him again, listen to this, in a garden. Just like Adam. He was in the garden of Eden. Now Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And again, he was confronted with the same choice as Adam. Adam, will I submit under the rulership of God? Or will I choose my own will above his will? What happened? He said to the Father, and he, Jesus obviously knew he was going to the cross, and he said to the Father, Lord, please take this cup from me. Let this cup pass me. And then these life-altering, earth-shattering words, not my will but your will be done. Jesus did what Adam could not do. He places himself again under the authority of God. And he says, Lord, if your will for me is to go and die on a cross for humanity, I'm happy to do it because I trust you. Redemption. And what happens? Jesus dies a criminal death. He raises from the dead on the third day. He was enthroned in heaven, enthroned in heaven as the king of heaven and earth. He restores rulership, God's rulership. But here's the crazy thing about the gospel, friends, is he takes you with him. You are in him on the cross. You are in him in the resurrection. You are in him in the ascension. You didn't do it. He did it, but he took you with him through death. 
into life. We just witnessed that now. That is what redemption looks like. You are in Jesus. Listen to this. Romans chapter 5. One of my favorite verses, and you will hear this a lot in Doxodeo. Verse 17. For if by the trespasses of the one man, speaking about Adam, death reigned. That is the result. If you remove yourself under the reign of God, death will reign. How much more will those who received God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? I brought a picture for those of you who didn't understand what, I'm just, what I just read, okay? So creation, God created man to rule. He created man good. The fall he lost his authority. He lost his ability to rule. But redemption, it says here, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace be restored to reign in life? See what happened to you in Christ. You were not just, you know, the same as Adam. No, in Christ, you are far better off. Much more. And that moment where, where that happens starts with faith in Christ. It's when you believe in your heart that, yes, I have fallen. But I cannot get up again. I cannot fix myself. I need a Savior. I place my faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, to bring new life in my life. He's the one who went through death, through the cross, through new life, and he's enthroned in heaven. That's the third chapter, redemption. And here's the sad thing about Christianity. Sometimes we only take chapter 2 and chapter 3 as the summary of Christianity. But there's a chapter 4. Seems like God loves gardens and cities. So Adam sinned in Eden, and then the next chapter, Babylon, was the result of what happened when man was leave, left the rulership of God. But now Jesus steps into Gethsemane, and you see it's again a garden, but it ends in the new Jerusalem, a city. Let's read Revelation 21 verse 1 to 5. It says, John is seeing this vision. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It doesn't say annihilated. It said it had passed away. It's over. It's done. And there was no longer any sea. Listen to this. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then he describes what he, he's seeing. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Where does this city come from? Heaven, where is it going? 
earth. <laughs> you see, we were told that, you know, we we're going to be snatched up from here. It seems like the new city is coming down. But let's say it got, not getting to that theology right now. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. It's this new reference in the end is God and man together. Let's not think about the details of that because it doesn't say how that is going to look. Is it going to be streets of gold? Again, it's a poem. <laughs> it's trying to describe that the streets... What is now? I mean, it's worthless street. I mean, what can you do with street? Nothing. <laughs> but in, the, in heaven, I mean, the streets are going to be gold. It describes that something as worthless as streets in heaven, it's, gonna, it's not going to be important in that sense. It's going to be worthless. And it's going to be on the same level as gold. I mean, what is then up for us after that? It's crazy. We don't know. If someone tells you, no, I've seen heaven. Again, Urania, Orange Hospital. <laughs> God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be, will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Again, describing the emotion of what Heaven then looks like there will be no more death, praise God, no mourning, no crying, amen, ladies, no pain, men. I'm, I'm referring to Jim. I mean, imagine Jim without pain. I would spend the whole day there. Some of you do, but that's a spiritual gift, okay? <laughs> Listen to this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. He's not saying, I am making all new things. He's saying, I'm taking the brokenness of what it looks like when you, when you remove yourself from the reign of God. I'm, I'm taking that and I'm making it new. I'm restoring it to not only its original glory, to a Better reference, because God is now with man. Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the place of peace between God and man. The place of peace between God and creation. The place of peace between man and creation. The place of peace between man and man. No more crying. No more mourning. No more death. And God says, I'm making all things new. That is the fourth chapter of the gospel actually just what in summary it's going to end good it's going to end well for you it's going to end when you are united with your creator what does that look like we don't know it doesn't matter sometimes you get christians that get so caught up in chapter four trying to figure out what this will look like, and they scare you sometimes. But that's not the point. The point is Jesus is coming to make all things new. And where does he start? He starts with people. But he has a society in mind. He has a city 
in mind. God is busy with this mission of making all things new. And listen to this. Who is the vehicle of God's renewal on this planet, in this city? Who? It's not a joke. It's a question. The church. Co-laborers with him. Ambassadors of the king. You are not just part of the church because it's nice. You are part of the church because God is on a mission with the church. You see, the church does not have a mission. The mission of God has a church. God is on this mission to renew all things and he is using the church. He placed the bridegroom and the bride together in this union to bring about shalom, to bring about Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, ma, Jerusalem, to Bloemfontein people. <laughs> you see, if I ask you now, tell me about the brokenness in our city. Tell me about the brokenness on the varsity. Tell me about the brokenness of your family. You can, you can recall it very quickly. Let me ask you, tell me about the peace of God in our city. Tell me about the renewal, the restoration of God in our city. Do you know that you are part of that? And let me just say it very clearly. Doxodeo is not the solution to the problems in bloom. No. We are just part of the church with a capital C. The church of Jesus in the city. And there are many expressions of church in our city, which is beautiful. Maybe you've asked yourself, why, is all the, why are all the churches not the same? Thank God they're not the same because we are not the same. You go to a space where you find family and purpose and a mission to live your life into, to live out purpose. If this is not the family for you, don't stop looking. I've got good friends that I can refer you to. Go and plant yourself in the church because we are busy with God's mission on this earth. You see, church is not about getting people to heaven. It's about get heaven, getting heaven to people. Every conversation that you have, every single day, is an opportunity for the Jerusalem of God to be revealed. For the love of God to be revealed in a very broken world. The issue, friends, is we, we don't believe this. We don't take the restoration of God serious in our lives. Maybe you say, I'm too broken for this, Eugene. God can never use me. Let me put you at ease. He's using me, okay, in a small way. But he's using me. I know my issues. I can publish them if you want. You will never come back to this church, but it's okay. But here's the crazy thing. We always want God to use our strengths and our talents and the places that we, you know, shine. No, my friend, God is actually using our weakness in his kingdom to shine his glory through. So no one of us is excluded. No one of us is disqualified because it's all about His glory, not your weakness and your ability to shine His glory. He just needs a vessel. Maybe if your name is Vessel tonight, God's hand is upon you. 
Last joke for the evening, okay? <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> there was a very famous preacher. This is off script. There was a very famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Anyone have heard of him? He was very um, condemned and judged because of his humor. And they said to him, you don't do that in God's house, you know? And he said to them, my friend, you don't know how much I'm holding back. So the same, <laughs> like every hole is a hole to jump in and get distracted like I am right now. All right. I want us to quickly concentrate for one minute further. As a Doxodeo family, we're not the only church that's the solution to the problems in our city. We connect with a whole bunch of churches and we also connect with life-giving organizations in our city to see about the kingdom of God being revealed. I want to tell you about some of the moments and some of the processes that are running out of this church, that is empowered by this church to bring about this transformation and renewal in our city. We call it our City Changer Project. We brought a nice slide for you to quickly watch. So our City Changer Project, we've got seven projects running at the moment. Street Store, Serving Saturday, Untold Stories, Pop-Up, Alpizo, and Hope, which stands for Help Our People Eat. It's, it's the fund that we help people who are struggling with food. But let's quickly look at Street Store for a moment. Any one of you a part of Street Store? Yes. The purpose of that thing is not to give out clothes. It's to restore dignity to people who are poor in our city, not only financially, but spiritually and emotionally. We want to close that gap. For people to come and have a personal encounter with someone that loves Jesus to restore the worth and the value of God in that person's life. And also, by the way, give them a few nice things to wear. And I, I remember in the beginning, people brought like, you know, broken and tall clothes. And we said to them, listen, we, we, don't, we can't give this to poor people. And they said, why? You know, they are poor. My friend, they are created in the image of, and the glory of God. We treat them as kings. We treat them as princes because in Christ they are. Don't fall for the trap of, you know, who's more superior. That is the heart of street store. We level the ground and we close that gap. Another incredible process running is our pop-up process where we take people who is jobless and who's poor and we give them not only just skills so that they can find a job again, and just by the way, 26 people in the last year was placed in a job out of this process in Bloom. 22 of them came to salvation in that process. So we train them with a skill and we help them to get a job. But more than that, we do a two-week life skills program with them, which is actually just a glorified term where we preach the gospel to them. <laughs> We want them not only to be equipped in life, we want them to meet the living Jesus. But also we help them to, you know, compile a CV. We, we teach them basic life skills so that they again can serve their families and provide for their families in a time of need. Alpizo, our baby house. Why in the world would we as a church go and place ourselves in this gap in our city? Listen to this, to go and take babies from, that was left in garbage, that was left at a hospital. We take them in and we do 
everything in our will and power to create a safe family environment for these kids. Because in them is the promises of God. In them is the image and likeness of the Father. And we want them to start life not as abandoned and broken and left. We want them in this family to feel safe, to feel part of a family. If you've never been to our baby house, do yourself a favor and go and check it out. The last thing that I want to mention quickly is our untold stories, where we partner with many churches and we create friendships and we hear the stories of one another in the city to celebrate that God is working through the church in our city. And just a last ad break, we also have our Serving Saturday process. And maybe you guys can give me that slide quickly. Where we invite all of the partners of this church to go and do something very practical in our city. It's only going to cost you a Saturday morning where you would anyway just watch Netflix. But now you're actually bringing the shalom of God to the city. Hallelujah. And you save money. But anyway, uh, maybe next slide just again. Um, donkey, JD. So on the 17th of September, we are doing and we're partnering with the Rock Foundation in Heidedal to, play and, uh, to build a play area for the children in their after-school program. If you want to be part of that, I would love for you to sign up right after this at the info desk. Put down your name and say, I want to bring God's kingdom to this city. Before we end, I would love for the worship team to join me on stage. And we're going to just quickly watch a video about some of these processes. And then we're going to celebrate in a last song. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.